hello all my friends online. It's Pastor Wayne here from Summit Church. Would you uh, do me a favor? Grab your Bible. We're going to be studying 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Going to be doing an, an overview of Paul's letters to the church at Thessalonica, or what is the modern day city in Greece called Thessaloniki. And um, this is a message that I've titled Family Traits. Before we get into the word, will you do me a favor and help me blast this out to uh, the internet and the various places where you may be watching this feed? I am Pastor Wayne H. on Facebook, uh, YouTube, Periscope, Twitter, Twitch, LinkedIn, Instagram, all those places. Share, share, share. Let's send the gospel of grace out there for the whole world to hear about and to see because this is good news that we have to share about a God who loves us and who's made provision for our sin and he wants us to follow him and to serve him. So I'm going to share with you this message that's an overview and I try to do it in a brief manner, but I have a lot to share and to fit in in this message called the qualities of a, of a godly church, or what we'd say, could say God's family traits. Now, my dad was a pastor. I'm actually in a, in a long line of pastors. Uh, my, grandpa, my grandpa was a pastor. My great-grandpa was a pastor. I have great-great-great-great-grandparents that were pastors um, in the Methodist movement, in the Pentecostal movement, in the Episcopal, Presbyterian, all the different kind of uh, church movements you can think of. And uh, it's kind of amazing. I've got a picture of my dad and me side by side. I want you to see if you can see any family resemblance here. That's Pastor Bud there on the left. And that's me, of course, on the right. And you see, we, we've got the same button nose, that, that little Swedish nose. We have that kind of, that same, that Travelocity gnome. <laughs> we have that kind of that look of a Travelocity gnome um, nose. And I've got his double chin, and I've got the same ears, except his ears got bigger the older he got. You know that your ears get bigger and bigger? Your nose and ears get keep on growing, even after the rest of your body stops growing. But you can see some family resemblance. I put on my reader glasses, so I looked a little bit more like my dad in this picture. But, you know, we are supposed to have family traits that we share with God. You know, the, the fruits of the Spirit are the personality of Jesus, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All those, all those beautiful fruits of the Spirit are really Jesus' personality. And once we become Christians, we're supposed to take on more and more of His personality as we let His Spirit have more and more of His way in us and through us. And of course, the more we read God's Word, the better disciple we come, the more we walk in obedience, the more we look like Jesus. Now, these acts of good works don't save us, but these acts of good works are evidence that the faith transaction has occurred and that I'm in God's family. And so Paul was preaching this letter to these Greek Christians, primarily Gentiles, a few Jews perhaps, but mostly Greek Christians in Thessalonica. And they came out of paganism. They came out of ritual sex worship in the temples of Diana. Um, they would bring food and sacrifices to carved images. Um, and Thessaloniki today is on the Mediterranean Sea, just as it was back in Paul's day. Beautiful, just blue ocean water out there in the distance. Lots of wonderful seafood to eat. And of course, it's semi-tropical you know they've got uh, olive trees and olive oil and breads and goat's milk and all this all the wonderful mediterranean food that you can imagine in fact i'm getting 
I'm getting kind of hungry right now as I think about it. Maybe I'll have a, a euro or some Greek food when I'm done with this tonight. But as we talk about the family traits, I wanted to show you a little film that my cousin Tim Mahoney made about my grandparents, my grandpa Hansen and grandma Hansen were Scandinavian immigrants, Swedish and Nor Norwegian. And Tim is just a dynamic filmmaker. He's done a, a series of films called Patterns of Evidence and kind of following the exodus story of the of the Jews from slavery in Egypt to the promised land and his had many of his films have been in theaters and on Netflix and various platforms and so I want you to see what my cousin Tim put together about our family legacy and how you can create a spiritual heritage for yourself what you should do to maybe pass on your faith to the next generation and how you can be a person that influences others in your family and in your circles to know and love Jesus so watch this this film that my cousin Tim made for our family check it out this past month we've been looking at how to pass our faith on to the next generation Pastor Kyle shared about what it means to create spiritual resiliency in our own family by creating family memories of God's provision. And we're going to talk more about that, but first I want to take you to our family reunion and share a little bit about my grandmother, who is really a spiritual mentor for our entire family. <laughs> Well, I had the privilege of, as a kid, she would come spend winters with us. I think it was about nine winters. She was, she was getting a little elderly, so it was cold up at the farm, and so she would come to Minneapolis and stay in our small house with my mom, dad, and my sister. Grandma would stay in our bedroom, and then we would stay in the living room. And Grandma had such a great impact on us because of two things I remember about Grandma. She loved the Word of God. Every day she would read her Bible and underline with a red pencil. And sometimes I was, would kind of laugh because I would, if I want to see her, she'd be in her bedroom reading. And if I popped in the door before, <laughs> and she didn't know I was coming, she'd go, hi. <laughs> and that was her little signature. Oh, you surprised me. Um, but she, the other thing that was so remarkable about her is she always wanted to make sure people knew about Jesus and how to accept Jesus so that they would be able to have a relationship with Jesus and know for sure that you're going to heaven. And I remember that she was really concerned about her next door neighbors and she made sure she had a conversation with them about Jesus. The thing I remember about grandma the most is that she always was considering people's eternal destination. It never, never failed that she might read about somebody in a local paper that had been convicted of some heinous crime and the next thing you'd find out that grandma wants to go see this guy and, and witness to him and, and tell him about the Lord. And, and I, I can truly say that grandma was one of the most important people in my life because she was so focused on what mattered that uh, she would, you know, at times um, be very uncomfortable having to go do things, but she knew that was, she was supposed to. So if she felt God was saying, go do this, she would be faithful uh, to do what she was supposed to do and that was always impressive to me. 
Well, I think Grandma targeted all of us, you know. Uh, she was always coming, with, she'd come with, the, I remember even as an 80-year-old, uh, she'd come just shaking, reading the Word of God. Randy, you want to love Jesus, right? You, you want to go to heaven, and, and you just want to make Jesus the, the Lord and Savior of your life, don't you? And I'd say, yes, Grandma, I do. And you know, I think that's one of the reasons why as a five-year-old, I, I accepted Jesus Christ, and it stuck with me because I saw that it was real in my grandma, and I wanted it to be real in me. And uh, she would also uh, uh, say what she thought, like, uh, you know, it was early 70s, and I had the long hair going, and she would pull my long hair and say, Marvie, or Marvie, don't you think you should get a haircut? You know, but she was nice. I remember that when she talked about the Lord, she would often get tears in her eyes and get choked up, that the Lord meant so much to her, and she wanted the Lord to mean that much to her grandchildren as well. I do remember she had some sayings that I have remembered for a long time. One was, God gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. And she used to talk about that because, you know, I didn't get married for a long time and, you know, sometimes it kind of bothered me that I was getting older and not getting married. And she would just say, God, you know, God gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. And um, that was just encouraging for me to hear that. One of the things I most remember is as she worked, she was constantly or often talking about the kids and about grandkids. And do they, are they loving Jesus? Are they serving Jesus? That was constantly a theme with Grandma. One of the things she said to me from a very early age on, she would say, Matthew, keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. And when you're young, you're not exactly sure what she means by that. But as I've gotten older, I've obviously realized that, you know, what she meant was keep yourself from the stains of the world. The world will stain you and will leave marks on you. And the less stains and the less marks, the better life will be. I think heritage sets a foundation for our lives. And, uh, and depending on what that heritage is can really determine really kind of the, the trajectory of our whole life you know if we have a good foundation a good heritage I think we have a good solid foundation we can then build something more significant with our life and, and, and when we start off without a good foundation it makes us weak to start and it takes a long time sometimes to overcome uh, a heritage that has weakness but I'm so grateful that Grandma Hansen and, 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 and Edward Hansen our, our grandparents uh, started us with a great spiritual foundation, a passion for God, a passion for the Word of God, and I'm very, very grateful for that heritage. My grandmother had many stories about how God had, had actually helped them through the Depression and through many, many difficult trials that the family faced. And we always thought of my grandmother as sort of the spiritual one, and we didn't really know my grandfather very much uh, because he had had a stroke and... Uh, uh, he didn't talk much, and I had no idea what his faith was like. But later in my life now, in the last few years, I've come to learn that my grandfather was actually a musician, he was a composer, he was a photographer, and he loved the arts. And something that came about in the last year, I learned about that my grandfather immigrated from Norway to America. And on the passage, he actually, I don't know if he copied this idea or if this was totally his own original idea, but he made a passport. But it wasn't a, a normal passport, it was a spiritual passport. And now let me show you what it looks like. It says, to the new Jerusalem, do not neglect to secure your seats. 
when finding a vessel. It's destined to depart forever. The royal line of peace. The ship's port is the gospel. And then he wrote a verse under different categories. Uh, under the ship's port, uh, he had actually Romans 1:16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then he listed these different categories like the gangplank and the destination and the departure time. And he then put verses, scripture verses, in each one of those areas. And what I found so significant was the depth of those verses as I looked into them. And what it was telling me was that I had a grandfather who actually had a deep understanding of the Bible and a deep understanding in his own personal faith. And that's something I never knew before. Here it is, over 110 years later, I'm learning about my grandfather, something he probably never thought of when he was on that ship writing this, drawing out this passport, knowing that in the years to come that his ancestors would look at this and realize that, that he was a man of faith and, he, and that I now, I look back on it and I realize I have a spiritual heritage. So here's what I want to do and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start recording on paper. I'm going to start writing out my own spiritual heritage. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. And that's what uh, Pastor Kyle was saying, is that we need to go back and look at what has happened in our own life and start recording the events of coming to know Christ, the event of maybe a, a marriage or two people coming together. Maybe it would be times when you went through a difficult time, but yet God was there and someone came along and encouraged you. I have many stories like this in my own family, and I'm sure you do too. So what I want to do now is to encourage you to create your own book, your own book of stories of faith, and to record them. And we're going to talk about that in the future, about what we're going to do with that. But we do need to record these events and remember them. Uh, and I think that uh, I can tell you that when people forget the things that God has done, and it happens throughout the scriptures, uh, then they get into trouble. And you know that right after the generation, right after Joshua, those people forgot. And they, uh, and they strayed. And this is what happens in every generation, is people don't remember. And maybe it's our own fault for not teaching it to them. So this is what I want to encourage you to do, is to record your faith history of your family and start uh, writing it down, and we're going we're gonna to investigate that more. Well, anyway, uh, God bless you all uh, from the Historical Faith Society and from Patterns of Evidence Foundation, and keep on thinking. I love that. I love Tim's work here with Patterns of Evidence Historical Film Society. He's also worked with the, the ARC um, and the Creation Museum, Bible Museum, all kinds of wonderful stuff. So check out some of his stuff online. I want to get into our actual study here tonight, First and Second Thessalonians, talking about God's family traits. You know, if I think about my grandparents and you saw some of my family reunion there, the hallmark of it is love. We might be young and old and come from different walks of life now and there's hundreds of us and yet love is the bond that holds us all together and that's what the local church is supposed to be. So the first family trait that I want to highlight here from 1 Thessalonians is genuine 
love. Jesus said that they will know that you're my followers because of your love for one another. And of course, when Paul writes this letter, he's writing a greetings to the church and he's encouraging them in their faith. And he's like, your love, your faithful work, your good deeds, your enduring hope, because if you have it, the Lord of Jesus Christ, you're an inspiration. And he talks about how generous they were, giving even over and above their, their ability to give, that they were radically generous. And then he talks about remembering his visit with them in chapter 2. And I want to read this. I'm going to put it on the screen here. Uh, verse number 4 in 2 Thessalonians. If I can get it up there, perhaps. <laughs> this My thing lags behind just a little bit. Well, maybe I don't have it on the screen. That's okay. It says, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we never sought it from you or from anyone else. Paul was saying, look, it... it we, what we did, we didn't do to impress you. What we've been doing, we didn't do to get it, your approval or to want, try to win you over. We did it for the approval of God. We did it in obedience to Christ. And all of us have to check our own motives when, when, we, when we're doing what we're doing and say, why do I do what I do? Why am I doing it? Am I doing this to get something from somebody? Or am I doing it out of genuine love and care and concern for the other person? Do I want good things for them on their behalf? And of course, you have to be careful not to work harder than the other person for what they might want. You have to be careful to let each person own their own baggage and do the things they're supposed to do. But at the same time, to check your own motives and, and ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? He goes on to commend Timothy's uh, good report about the church and he's praising them and just saying you know that that Christ is coming back soon and that's what Thessalonians is really known for this reminder that uh, that there's a coming resurrection there's going to be a resurrection of the body and there's going to be the rapture of the church but before he gets into all that he reminds the church to remain sexually pure to be pure and really the inference here is sexual purity he does mention sexual sin and I think that's kind of what my cousin Randy was talking about when my grandma Hanson was saying, oh, Randy, make sure that you're always pure, that you stay pure. Actually, I think it was Matt, Matt that said that, Matthew said that, that stay pure, stay pure. And here's what Paul says in chapter 4 of, of 1 Thessalonians. Let's see if I can pull it up now. No, it's not working. It's not going to cooperate. That's okay. He says, live to please God. Verse 3, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this manner by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all sins, and we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Um, therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. He says... 
uh, verse 11, make it your goal to live a quiet life, reminding your own and minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. He's saying, you know, Christians ought to act like it. Christians ought to live like it. It's important that we don't just talk a good game, but that we live a good game, that we truly are. Our talk matches our walk, and our walk matches our talk. And he goes on to talk here in verse 13 about the hope of the resurrection. And this is really what 1 and 2 Thessalonians is known for, as I said before. Um, As we look at deep theology and we talk about the resurrection of the dead, this is something that confounded the Greeks because they just couldn't understand or believe that dead people would one day come back to life. But it was part of Jewish theology for generations that there would be the day of the Lord when everyone would come before God and make an answer to God for how they lived their lives. Here's what Paul says about this hope of the resurrection in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring us back with him, bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. And then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Oftentimes I do memorials and funerals for folks and this passage is often read at memorials and funerals, especially at the the memorial or a funeral of a believer because we know that the person that we love is gone. We're not going to see them again in this life, but we know we'll see them in heaven one day. That there is going to be a resurrection of the righteous and of the unrighteous. All people are eternal creatures. We're going to spend eternity in one place or the other. And then he continues here in chapter 5. He says, Now concerning how and when all this will happen, speaking of this resurrection, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night, when people are saying, Everything is peaceful and secure. Then the disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night, so be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert, be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Paul says we need to get geared up because we know that we're in a fight. We know that our victory is coming soon, that we're not here forever, and we have work to do. So the the first family trait is genuine love. Second family trait is purity or even sexual purity. And thirdly, the, the, the trait that we have to be is readiness. 
We're ready for Christ's return. We're anticipating this return of Christ. We're looking forward to the day when the dead in Christ will rise and he's going to meet us in the clouds and we're going to spend eternity with the Lord. And Paul then warns the church here in a very powerful way in verse 15 of 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. And that brings us to 2 Thessalonians. It's another letter that um, begins in, in, a, in a, a response to an earlier letter, an earlier report from Timothy as he's helping really do the legwork of the ministry on the ground there in Greece. And he writes another warm greeting. He's encouraging them, especially during times of persecution. You know, they were being killed when they became Christians because they stopped going to the temple of Diana. They stopped making sacrifices to the pagan gods. In some cases, they got out of business relationships with the local pagans, and this made them very angry. It made them a target for violence. And uh, many of them were killed for their faith, just as we hear of Christians in Afghanistan now being killed for their faith. This is what was happening to the early church. And here's what he says in verse 11. He says, So we keep on praying for you, asking for God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things that your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of the Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This all is all made possible because of the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And... Let me see if I can pull up the scripture. I really love to be able to put the screen, the scripture on the screen for you. So if we can get that to go, I will do it. It's worth. There we go. Now you can see what we're doing. Get it in focus here. So Second Thessalonians chapter two, he he starts with this. He says, "Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet Him." Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them. Even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us, don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. This is the one spoken of by Daniel, the Antichrist the one who brings destruction, he will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes, for his lawlessness is already at work secretly. And it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back, which is us and the Holy Spirit, when, when the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. 
and I know this is a long passage, but hang in there with me, everybody. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So, God will cause them to be greatly deceived. They will believe these lies. They will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than for believing the truth. Whew, that sounds pretty dark. That sounds pretty scary. Yeah, um, that's what's going to happen when God removes the restraining power of the Spirit and his church on the earth and Satan and his uh, minions have full vent to their fury. You think things are rough with the global pandemic and uh, with a few travel restrictions and some food shortages. Imagine how terrible it's going to get when the church is no longer here, the, the Holy Spirit is not drawing people anymore to Christ, and the, 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 wa the hearts of people are waxing cold and hatred is giving full vent to its fury. It's going to be a pretty dark time, and honestly, you don't want to be here when that happens. Before we end this broadcast, I'm going to give you a chance to receive Christ and know that you're ready, that if Christ does return, you'll be caught up to meet him in the air along with his church. And it's never, there's never been a time like right now to get right with God and commit your heart to Jesus. Well, Paul goes on to request, request prayer um, from the church because he was going through difficulty in chapter 3 here at the end of this chapter. Now that, now they got it all working, he, he gives an exhortation for proper living. Come on, will it go? Oh, it died again. <laughs> All right, whatever. <laughs> whatever. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the traditions that they receive from us. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so, so we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not eat. It's a principle that if you're lazy, you should get a job and you should get up and do some work and earn your keep that no one should be carrying you along the way. You should be doing work and work is, is a gift from God. It's not a curse. Adam had work in the garden before the fall. So work is actually a gift from the Lord. You have, you have strength. You have the ability. You have knowledge. You have, you have experience. You have talent. You should be using those things for God's glory. And somehow work gives us purpose. It helps us give our lives direction. And so that's, that's a powerful verse there. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. If you run a Christian house, if you're the one who, or the one who calls the shots in your home, you shouldn't be letting, just letting loafers get away with not doing work. At least do the dishes. At least help us clean up around here. Um, at least take, take a, a little care for your area and uh, straighten things up where you are. It's about ownership and it's about dignity and self-respect. And so... Paul closes this second letter here. He says, As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so they'll be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would a brother or sister. The fourth and final family trait I want to talk about is hard work. 
or a good work ethic. My grandpa Hansen would would farm those 80 acres and he had hay, he had peas, he had cows, he had chickens, he had, uh, he had all kinds of different uh, farm animals and equipment and lots of work to do. And part of the reason why they had so many kids was because there has so much work to do on a farm. Well, he, he knew how to work hard. And those of us who are Christians work because it's a gift from God. We need, to, we need to receive that gift and do the work that we do with energy, with enthusiasm, with passion, knowing that the work that we do, we're doing it for God. And I'd like to finish this broadcast with this idea of the Romans road. Maybe you've never received Christ or you're not sure what it really means to be a Christian. Well, to cross the line of faith, it really means appropriating what Jesus did for you and letting him be the Lord, the leader, the boss of your life. Romans, see, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no person who's perfect on their own. No one can earn their way to God. All have sinned. doesn't matter how gifted or nice or talented or how much good you've done to try to outweigh the bad. You'll never be good enough. Your sins... We're, we're all sinners, right? And that leads us to Romans 6.23, which says the wages of sin, the price for sin, is death. Now, I'm glad it doesn't stop there. It's not just talking about physical death, although sin can kill you. You know, murder can kill you. Drunkenness in a drunk driving accident can kill you. The consequences of sin can certainly kill you. But it's talking about something even deeper than that. An eternal separation from God. Eternal death. A spiritual death. Yeah, the the wages of sin is death, but it, it continues. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross and when he rose again, he took upon himself the sins of the world, your sins and my sins, and he asks that we would just cast our sins upon him and make him the leader and the Lord of our life. When he was raised from the dead, he proved that he had the power over sin, sin, death, hell, and the grave, and we can live an eternal life because Jesus paid the way. Well, how do you do that? How do you begin the relationship? How do you make the transaction to know that you are a Christian? Well, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart men believe, with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So it's about confessing and believing. And then you aren't going to make mistakes. You're going to sin. You're going you're gonna to mess up. And that's, Jesus made provision for that on the cross. And so we live in relationship with him and we grow as disciples. We try to become more like Jesus every day. We do whatever it takes to become a disciple and to to become who he wants us to be. Well, if you've never received Christ, it's a simple prayer that I call STP, like the old motor oil oil company, STP. But for me, it stands for sorry, thank you, please. What if you're ready to pray that prayer to let Jesus come in? Say say this prayer right along with me, wherever you are. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that God raised you from the dead, according to the scriptures. Please come into my heart, be my Savior, and be my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer... We believe that you've been reborn. 
Jesus talks about that in John chapter 3, that when we receive God, when we receive Christ, the Spirit comes in and we have a rebirth experience. We become new people in Christ, new creations in Him. I'm so proud of you if you made that decision. Would you direct message me or, or, or put a comment here, say, hey, I prayed the prayer with you, or I prayed that prayer, and I, or I rededicated my life to Christ. We'd love to hear about how you're growing in the Lord. We'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you're here in the Denver metro area, we'd love to tell you about a great church. It's called Summit Church in, down in Sedalia. We'd love to have you be a part of our ministry and, and get you studying the Bible and growing in your faith as a Christian. We're also doing a course called the Alpha Course, and we're in the middle of the training sessions for that. It's going to be launching on Thursday night, September 16th. And here's a little video about two girls, one girl that hosted Alpha and brought a friend along, and it was life-changing. Check out Miranda as she tells her story. Growing up, I was in a very atheist household. It was my mother, my brother, and I. They didn't go to church. They didn't follow any religion of any sort. When I was 19, I was coming out of a really awful relationship that had lasted the good majority of three years. It was really hard on me mentally, emotionally, physically, just very dark and negative and toxic. I remember one day just being in the room alone, quiet and sad, and it felt like something was in the room with me, if you want to explain it that way. I just felt some, something caring for me. And I asked the question, is this God? Is this, you know, Jesus trying to get through to me? So I was left with um, a lot of questions. I would say there were a, quite a few like curious people there, either people that had grown up in a Christian background or had known people. I wondered what it would look like just to host an alpha for my friends and particularly my coworkers. I was definitely pretty nervous just because obviously it's really easy to make a name for yourself at your workplace because you're there all the time, whether it's like, oh, you could be like the really fun one or it's like very easily you could be like, oh, that Christian that always asked people to go to church. And I didn't want her to think that our friendship was just so I could invite her to church. So Ashton and I were working a shift together. Uh, we were walking past each other and she stopped me from where I was going and just said it very directly, casually, I want you to come to an alpha. What day is going to work for you? What day is consistent for you? And I was immediately drawn and ready to um, participate in it. There's not really a, like a super easy way to do it. Um, there's no, if you're ever waiting for like the right time, there's like, there's times that are better than others, but there's not like a time that it really like, this is the moment. So I showed up at Alpha for the first time. Um, it was very welcoming, very casual. Uh, lots of people that I knew were there all my age. So, you know, you walk in, people were hugging, people were saying hello, people were catching up, there was food there. So it just felt like you were going to hang out with your friends. A lot of people had questions just like I did. They were either atheist, Christian, um, nothing. Like they just had the same questions as me. So I felt very comfortable knowing that I wasn't the only one who was exploring it. Maybe halfway, maybe like three quarters, we were just talking and it was discussion time. She's like, yeah, well like now that I'm Christian. And I was like, what? And I was like, 
Uh, and I was like, kind of like look at other people that I, like I know and I looked at them, they looked at me and I was like. Things just started to make sense for me. Things started clicking. My past, there were like certain connecting dots that I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. And then, yeah, I think I just told you one day. Yeah. It wasn't like a huge big bang or like I saw the light or anything. It was just, I woke up, I'm like, this is who I am. Yeah, I just, I like firmly believe like obviously it wasn't me that like brought you to Christ and like gave you this life. It was like, I was just being like faithful. It's like God's call and that looked like inviting you. And then he like did the rest and he like obviously like does so much for your life. And I think you just kind of like, helped me like see a little clearer or like yeah. help me. Yeah. Move a little bit closer. God pulled through. The Alpha Course. We have a launch for it right here at Summit Church in Sedalia, 4240 North Perry Park Road in Sedalia, Colorado. On Thursday nights, our big launch night is September 16th at 6.30. Each week, there'll always be food, there'll always be a talk and a discussion. It's a great time to talk about your meaning and purpose. And even if you're not a Christian, not a believer, you want to come and share your faith or you want to push back on some ideas of Christianity, that's fine. But it's going to be a discussion, not a debate. We're there to, to have a friendly interaction and be there for each other and make some new friends. So hopefully you can join us for Alpha Course. We're not, it's not too late to be a leader or to be a worker or be a helper. We have another training session this coming Thursday night. So we need greeters. We need facilitators and discussion workers. We need people that want to do help food or clean up in various capacities. We'd love to have you volunteering and being a part of the Alpha Course in that way. Well, let me uh, pronounce the blessing over you and I'll be done. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you, lift your countenance, and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, stay tuned here for a minute to see all the ways you can partner with the ministry. We appreciate your, your support. We'll see you next time. God bless. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hansen. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.